0: From COK Studios in Terry Gross's tanning bed, this is Consider Our Knowledge. I'm Connor Bentley. On today's show, we'll consider the second part of our celebration of Consider Our Knowledge's 300th episode. We'll also consider some more of our team's favorite sketches from the first 299 episodes. And we'll consider that I want your stupid love. Stay with us.
1: Support for Consider Our Knowledge comes from All Rings Considered, a jewelry emporium with the perfect engagement ring for your special someone who works at NPR, and the Rainbow Sunflower Dog Training and Wellness Center, now enrolling for fall semester classes. Facing our fear of the mailman. Playing Dead, An Existential Crisis, and New Tricks for
0: Old Dogs. This is Consider Our Knowledge. I'm Connor Bentley. Welcome to the 301st episode of Public Radio's Finest Parody. I know that nobody thought we'd make it this far, and despite slowing our output a bit this year and this summer because of coronavirus, we finally reached this amazing milestone. As a way to celebrate 300 episodes, this is the second of a special two-part retrospective with members of the best-looking news team in public radio. In this episode, just like last week, we'll talk with them about their favorite moments from the past seven years and share some of those sketches. We hope you enjoy this continued look back at some of the COK team's best and funniest moments. Well, we are here with the other portion of the COK team. This week, we have with us today Emily Clausen. Emily has a, a long history with the podcast. I think she might have been the first person other than myself and Marianne Wetzel to be a part of the cast. Emily plays, among others, Dinah Jones Mallow, Constance Kincaid, Lynn Ruffle, our book expert. Apparently, you played a character named Mindy Rounds, who I don't remember who that is.
2: Might have been <laughs> one. Me neither.
0: <laughs> yeah, might have been a one-time thing. But you also did a great Greta Thunberg earlier this year. Um, also with us is Jeremiah Knight, who plays Leslie Kincaid, LGBTQ correspondent, Trevin Motley, uh, sports guy, Rick Van Patten, our stylist to the stars, Peter Grigio. He's also played Donald Trump and Cordell's brother, Jiminy Nutbrock. So we also have with us Spencer Cannon, who, uh, in, in addition to being a professional voice actor also does on the show, handsome financial reporter, Chris Rydell. Uh, movie reporter Fritz Hicks has also played Bernie Sanders, Barack Obama, Bill Cosby, Kurt Ruffle, Lynn's brother, Vance Blumpkin and James Carville. And then finally, we have uh, Marianne Wetzel, who plays Marta Margolis, Fanny Carmichael, Martha Stewart, Peter Grigio's assistant, Chardonnay. She's also played Carrie Ruffle, Lynn Ruffle's sister, and her most important role is my wife. No, actually, her most important role oh. is the announcer who does all of the support for us. So that is who is joining us today.
1: Actually, I would like to interject that my most important role is when I add things to the sketches that make <laughs> them magical. Mm-hmm. I want I want some, like, writer credit for when, you know, I add that extra little secret sauce
0: little to your writing, babe. Mm-hmm. We'll edit this part out. Um, uh-huh. we, can't ha- we can't have that. But no, so uh, that is, yeah, we can't have that. No, so that is who is with us today to discuss uh, the favorite moments and bits from our first 299 episodes. So I want to pose a question to the group and we can just kind of go around and have everybody answer. I want everybody to just say, who's your favorite character to play? Because we talked about that last week with Hobart and Natalie. So I'm just curious. So we'll start with Emily. Emily, who's your favorite character to play?
3: Um, well, you'd think that I would say Dinah because she's the stalwart uh, and the thing that I, but she basically is me. Um, All of my characters basically are me. So I'm going to go with Lynn Ruffle. Um, That's actually the one that is the, uh, the most fun. I like to sort of get into the uh, energy of her. Um, And let's face it, at some point, I probably will be found under a pile of books. I was just going to say that! That will be my demise. Uh, And uh, I'm pretty sure that's happened to her at least three times. So, um, yeah, Lynn's Lynn's a delight.
0: All right, so Spencer, who's your favorite character to play? I like critics because
4: I can't articulate anything that I say so if I am sitting there in front of scripts all day having to sound incredibly professional and then I am told to intentionally not be able to be understood all that well I kind of like doing that it gives me a reprieve especially in these Rona days so thank you Fritz although I guess that kind of sucks right now because we're not getting any movies we're not getting new movies out so it's like uh uh-oh I hope he doesn't get uh, he doesn't get uh, shipped off the the show.
1: You can pay like twenty five bucks or something to see <laughs> movies that'll come yeah. out on Disney Plus. Well, yeah, oh, yeah, we have mm-hmm. we
0: have uh, Mulan coming out soon, and Bill and Ted just came out, so we'll have. To oh, that's right, Fritz, yeah. talk mm-hmm. about those.
4: Yeah, we'll have uh, we'll have Fritz doing that, and I, I would have, I would assume Fritz is the type of person that would go and spend like three hundred dollars to rent out an entire theater just for himself, and so it'd be <laughs> free. That's that sounds on brand,
3: and the rest of the Hicks. Yeah, and the Hicks
4: families. Trixie, <laughs> yeah. Trixie and B- B- Bitsy, Bitsy, mm-hmm. Hicksy Bitsy. Yeah. No. So I, I think yeah, uh,
2: definitely Fritz.
0: Nice. Okay, Jeremiah, who's your favorite character to play?
2: Um. Well, they're all such magic. I don't know if I could. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Probably uh, Peter Grigio, just because I like the accent. <laughs> I love I love an obscure, nondescript, uh, vague uh, Eastern Atlantic, somewhere along the Atlantic uh, uh, accent. So he kind of fits the bill with that. So <laughs> he starts out in New York and then, it, you know, kind of takes <laughs> takes a little yeah. trip up the coast. You know, ends <laughs> up in Maine yeah plus he he gets to ramble about things and that which I just i I relate to just I love a list. what can I say? That's true
0: all right, Marianne, what about you?
1: I mean, I think my favorite is Marta Margolis, probably for the same reason that Spencer mentioned is she's got kind of a speech impediment, <laughs> and it's it's kind of fun to you know to have a to do that voice. Marta hasn't been on a lot lately um but, you know, she's probably writing books and has her own show on ABC, like mid-morning after Good Morning America or something. So she's
0: Marta, probably busy. Marta in the morning, she's on assignment. That's right. <laughs> I picture her,
2: getting, I picture her <laughs> getting drunk with Kathy Lee and Hoda. Is a <laughs> <She>, thing? Or, <laughs> there's a lot of pain I picture her grigio. being the only
1: sober one with Kathy Lee and Hoda. <laughs>
0: All right. So let's talk about some favorite moments, favorite sketches. Um, and then we'll play some of them as well for the audience so they can kind of hear those great moments once again, because some of them are going way, way back and some are a little more recent, but let's just, we'll, we'll stay with the same order. So Emily, what's your, what are your favorite moments, favorite sketches that you, uh, are thinking back on?
3: Well, I'm going to cheat a bit. Uh, I'm going to choose two. Um, because You're one so of them, greedy. I am. It's true. Love it's it. our 300th episode. I'm going to take.
0: I
2: think you've finally. earned it. <laughs> Senior correspondent.
3: Precisely. I'm no Cordell. Um,
0: <laughs> no, you are the co-host. No, I Cordell am the is co-host.
3: Not... Um, so I would say uh, the, my favorite thing that I've ever actually written for the show uh, was a sketch that came to me in a dream Um, I dreamt that we were recording the show while sitting on top of a cliff while the wind was blowing. We were wearing Victorian garb, recording onto a Victrola on uh, wax cylinders. That was my dream. And uh, I woke up the next morning and wrote the sketch, Two Debbies, uh, which was an adaptation from an earlier Charlotte Bronte work.
0: Okay, well, now before you go, I want to ask you about your role as a writer on the new PBN Masterpiece series, Two Debbies.
3: (laughs) Well, I got asked to punch up the script because I'm an expert on Charlotte Bronte's work, especially the oft-forgotten novel, Two Debbies.
0: Well, I think we have a clip. Would you care to set it up? Yes.
3: Here is part one, starring Leah Malworth as Deborah Giddens, Stacey Rookmeyer as Lady Deborah Lakeworth, and Sir Reginald Puttenham as Bosworth. Sound editing was by Jonathan Durpin. Script by Cameron Murphy and (laughs) Lynn Ruffle, And it was directed by H.L. Wisely.
5: Lady Giddens, may I introduce you to Lady Deborah Lakeworth? Oh,
3: please, do call me Debbie. But I am a Debbie as well. That was part one of Charlotte Bronte's seminal classic, Two Debbies. Tune in next week for part two, entitled Another Debbie? And the other one that I would like to choose is uh, the first appearance of Hilda Scooby, um, who was a Bobby McFerrin-esque musician as played by our friend um, Babs Gray, who is a successful stand-up comedian out in L.A. Uh, And I, I actually, when sort of looking back to figure out when that sketch happened, I didn't realize it was within the first 20 episodes that we've, we've done of the show. Uh, it was episode 20. Uh, and I think you can tell from how much I'm laughing um, in the actual sketch that it was almost impossible to record. Like you can tell I'm right on the threshold of just losing it the entire time. So.
0: All right. So now <laughs> with that, let's hear that sketch with Hilda Scooby And Emily Clausen's guest starring, our good friend Barbara Gray.
3: Few people would suspect that a very unassuming girl in glasses is a tour de force musical act that has an entire orchestra and choir inside her body. Hilda Scooby is a human instrument, a single person wall of sound. I met her in her home studio in Los Angeles to discuss her unique sound. I guess I've always had music inside me.
6: I was always a singer. Even when I was a little kid, I would sing songs uh, uh, that I made up. Still remember my first one. Oh, can you sing a little for us? Gah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Grandma, give me some <laughs> ooh, ooh, peanut ooh, butter. I like it with my juice. I don't want to wash my, my hands <laughs> cause I like the smell of oh, yeah.
3: gaps. <laughs> Thank it's you. great that you still remember that first song. God, oh, yeah. I have so many of them. How did you develop all of your unique noises and instrument sounds? Well, you know, my pibbits. My pirates. They never had
6: much money because we lived by the barter system, so I never had any, you know, but I never had any instruments except for the neck of a ukulele that we found in a gutter. In front of our house, I decided that I needed to make my own
3: instruments with my mouth. Oh, you know that actually sounds a lot like Bobby McFerrin. Was he an influence on I'm you? I'm sorry, who? Uh, Bob- Bobby McFerrin. I don't.
6: Yeah, I don't know who that is. I don't know any of his music. I've never heard of him. I was mostly inspired by the world <laughs> by the world. I was inspired by the, you know, just like sounds I'd hear, like, like over there. Like over there, you see a homeless man. He's going, and I'd go, you know, just sounds around records that my parents were able to trade for. Oh, what were those? We had three. We had three. We had three records. Iron Maiden's Power Slave, Loggins and Messina's. Full Sail, and the eighteen twelve overture by the barking dog chorus. I've tried to blend those sounds into mine, but obviously only in a very small way my
3: music is really my own. Oh well let's hear some. I'd like to play a bit from your debut album. The song is called Rumor. Rummer, it's called Rummer. Oh oh Rummer. It's one of your songs without lyrics. That's right, one
6: of the many. I just wanted to have that raw power of sound without words. <laughs> <laughs> Mommy!
3: Just breathtaking. I wanted to ask you about your album. You have said in other interviews that you haven't really ever covered other artists' songs because you feel you can't do them justice. But you have included a cover of a very famous song. Talk about why. First of all, that's incorrect. I feel that they can't do me justice.
6: But anyway, I think, you know, this song in particular has really meant a lot to me over the years. And I wanted to show that to the world.
3: Oh, well, let's hear a little bit of it if you don't mind. Not
6: at all! <clears throat> That's not part of it. Okay. Bonk! <laughs> Bonk! says but With the distance, now I'm back on my feet just a man, woman and his will to survive It's the I'll the chagger's the thrill of the night right in the light.
3: was of course eye of the tiger by survivor hilda scooby thank you so much for letting us enjoy your music today of course it is my pleasure anytime
0: okay spencer what uh what is your favorite sketch or sketches or moments that we've had in the past Uh, years there's just so many of them
4: we're just so great you guys i love (laughs) (laughs) y'all get us go uh yeah another one that uh, i landed on and i think several other people landed on it and emily was gracious enough to give this one to me uh because i know <laughs> she loved it but the henge episode was great because uh if you've heard the henge episode the crux of the joke relied on saying henge a whole lot <laughs> and that got progressively more fun to say as we went through it and i recently listened to a radio lab episode about repetition and like loops And I was like, I think it relies on that same thing where something is funny, like the fourth time you do it, and then it'll get progressively not funny. And then for some reason, it gets funny again the more you go on. So I'm glad we got to dip our toes into that. So that one was good. (laughs) And yeah, the other ones I've liked, I liked the, what was the one, the the Num Nums guy? Yes, the one we (laughs)
0: played last week. That was Natalie's choice. Yeah, that was
4: Natalie's choice from last week. I did like that one. I like the num-nums one. And as then, Ricky
0: the Rascal. That was yeah, your Ricky character who made the num-nums. So now, without further ado, let us hear the henge sketch that uh, everybody loves so much. In the biggest find yet in a project to map the landscape near Stonehenge, researchers have found a row of up to 90 standing stones, some of them nearly 15 feet tall. The huge stone assembly is less than two miles from Stonehenge, and scientists say it could be as old or older than the famous monument. Dina chatted with Sir Miles Dugray Scott, who is on the team of researchers.
3: Sir Miles, we're so glad you could join us today.
0: I'm happy to be here.
3: Your team found the remains of a major new prehistoric stone monument, less than three kilometers from Stonehenge. Tell us about it.
7: Well, using cutting-edge multi-sensor technology, we've revealed evidence of a large stone monument hidden beneath the bank of the Durrington Wall's Superhenge.
3: How does this compare with other henges you've worked on?
7: Oh, It's quite the henge. We don't think there's any henge quite like this henge anywhere else in the world.
3: Describe the henge, if you would.
7: Certainly. This new henge has 90 standing stones, which is remarkable. As henges go, it could be contemporary with the famous Stonehenge Sarsen Circle, or an even earlier henge. We just don't know how old of a henge it is at this point.
3: What is sarsen?
7: It's a type of sandstone block that's been found around that region in England, and is good for henge building.
3: Is that what henges are typically made of?
7: Yes, that's correct. My colleagues and I in the Henge Hunters Henge Fund also discovered a shadow stone henge less than 3,000 feet from the famous henge when we saw a telltale flange sticking out of a hedge.
3: You found an underground henge sticking out of a hedge?
7: Not me. My colleague Reg tripped on a flange sticking out of the hedge and hit his head on the henge. I see. And last year, we found 17 other ritual monuments in the same area.
3: Were any of those monuments henges?
7: Indeed they were. There were many henges hidden behind hedges. It's truly remarkable that there are so many henges in such a small area. Hence, we can conclude that these early people were henge builders, but we still don't know enough about them.
3: Why henges?
7: Henges have a special significance, but the discovery of all the new henges makes it even more unclear as to what the henges were used for and who built the henges.
3: Do you think uncovering this latest henge will help you solve the mystery surrounding Stonehenge and the other henges?
7: We hope so. Henge.
3: Sir Miles, good luck with your henges.
7: Thank you very much.
3: For updates on Sir Miles's team and their henge discoveries, Visit henge.org or download their mobile app, iHenge. Stonehenge.
0: Jeremiah, what is your choice for your favorite moment or sketch or moment?
2: Um, well, my, my favorite one is 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 probably one of my favorite interviews. Like, for some reason, my characters always end, seem to end up interviewing a celebrity or something. I know uh, Trevin Motley's, I think, interviewed Cher before or something, hasn't he? Or,
0: yeah, Hobart is Cher.
2: Oh, that's great. Oh, yeah. Um, but I, I really enjoyed the interview with uh, Peter Grigio when he was interviewing Adele. What um, you mean tre- Trevin? Th- was it Trevin interviewing Adele? Yeah, Trevin interviewed Adele. The range, the range Your of these two <laughs> characters. Your characters are
3: so distinct. They're so...
2: Yes, one's a gay
0: decorator, the other one's just gay. <laughs> So, without any further ado, let us hear Jeremiah as Trevin Motley interviewing Marianne as Adele in this very, very special and hilarious C.O.K. sketch. Now we turn to our music series, Consider the Sound. This week, we're very lucky to have an interview with Grammy and Oscar-winning singer Adele, whose new album, 25, comes out on November 20th. Hello, the first single from her new album, marked her returned music after a three-year hiatus, being her first release since Skyfall in 2012. Adele sat down with our own Trevin Motley, who is admittedly an Adele mega fan, to discuss her return to making music.
5: Adele joins us today from a studio in London, and I literally couldn't be more excited to talk to her. Adele, welcome to Consider the Sound. Adele? Hello? Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Can you hear me? Sure thing, love. Oh my God, it's really you. It sure is. Glad to be with you. So this new album, 25, you've been working on it for a while? Oh yeah. I had a bit of writer's block, but then me and my producer, Greg
1: Kirsten, started working. It took us six months to get that one track down, but I think it's a great song. The rest of the album too. Once we started working, it all poured right out of me.
5: It's a great song and a video was absolutely gorgeous. Talk a bit about it if you would.
1: Why are you talking like that?
5: Like what? Like me. What? I, I'm not talking like you, love. You are, and you just did it again. I'm sorry. I I don't know what's wrong. I, I just find your accent super charming.
1: Well, could you stop?
5: I will try. I'm so sorry, love.
1: You're still doing it.
5: I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm good now. So tell us about that video for your song, Hello. Really? Sorry, I feel terrible. Is there someone else that I can talk to? i gossip reporter Melissa Reynolds is here, love. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, can, can you interview Adele for me?
1: Adele? Totes. Hey, Adele. Hello, love. Is that weird man gone? Yeah, he ran into the bathroom crying. Poor baby. That was just weird. So let's get on with it. Okay, so Adele, tell us about 25. It's all about my frame of mind at that time, become a mother and that. One of my main inspirations was Madonna's album, Ray of Light. I just love that one and that song Frozen. Oh yeah, Madonna is just great. Wait, are you talking like me now? No way,
6: I'm just talking like me. Cheerio. Are you making fun of how I talk? No, honestly,
1: I don't know what I'm doing. I can't help it, love. That's it, I'm done. You lot can just sod off.
6: No, wait,
1: we don't want to sod off. We
6: We love love you Adele, Adele. please Please
5: don't don't go, we're Sorry. sorry.
0: that was trevin and melissa's interview with singer-songwriter adele for more consider the sound go to considerourknowledge.com okay love great now i'm doing it um now finally let's ask marianne marianne what is your favorite or most notable sketch for you
1: so, I very much enjoyed uh, bringing to life uh, the character of Fanny Carmichael, who was kind of an amalgamation of, like, the kind of old, washed-up diva, a um, little bit of Broadway, a little bit of Hollywood, definitely um, Liza Minnelli-influenced and um, just kind of, you know, reminiscing about her glory days, but also kind of still thinking that she's got it, even though, you know, her voice has started to get the old lady warble.
0: Well, let's hear now Marianne as Fanny Carmichael doing her best warble. Very few people have made a bigger impression on the world of musical theater than Fanny Carmichael. With a talent that rivaled the greats like Carol Channing and Liza Minnelli, Fanny Carmichael was set to become one of the all-time greats, but financial mismanagement and an addiction to prescription cough drops left her life and voice in a shambles. Now at age 67, she's making a comeback with a series of cabaret shows and a new album. I sat down with Miss Carmichael and her husband and manager, Hugh Duckworth, at their apartment in New York. Miss Carmichael, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: It's my pleasure, darling.
0: So, what's prompting this comeback?
1: It was Hugh's idea. We got married last year at Six Flags Over Albany. And when we were in the wedding bumper cars, he told me, Kid, I'm gonna make you a star again.
5: That's right. She's still got it. And seven is her lucky number.
1: That's right, sweetheart.
0: Uh, Seven? So what's so special about seven?
1: Well, Hugh is my seventh husband.
0: Oh, yes, that's right.
1: Yes, there was George, Hank, Huck, Richard Dreyfus, Porthos, he was French, Jerry, but that was really just a rehab fling. And now, Hugh, this one is going to last, though. We are just made for each other. I'm so happy I could burst.
0: Oh, that's great.
1: No, seriously, I might pull some stitches.
0: I asked Fanny about the health of her voice. She famously lost it on opening night of the 1987 revival of No No Nanette.
1: That was a dark time for me. The menthol from my prescription cough drops was so strong that it shrunk my larynx down to the size of a lima bean. The doctors called it pickled larynx and said I had almost no chance of regaining my voice.
5: She's lucky she can even talk, let alone sing.
1: It's true. Those damn drops were almost the end of Fanny Carmichael. I'll never forgive Liza for turning me on to them.
0: Her 45-drop-a-day habit lost Fanny her role as Nanette, and most of her money as she looked for a cure that would bring her voice back.
1: It was awful. I could only make this low, gurgling sound, but I knew I had to keep going. Performing was my life!
5: When I first met her, she was gargling her way around town, looking for work.
1: Hugh was a producer, and he took a chance on me for his new off-Broadway show, Mime. It was a completely silent show based on the life of Marcel Marceau.
5: She was completely uninsurable, but I took a risk on her because she was such an energetic performer.
0: Her minor role in Mime was the first of her collaborations with Hugh.
5: We thought about doing a mime show starring Fanny called Anti-Mime, based on the musical MAME, but we couldn't find enough money for it.
1: Then in 2002, I got a call from my doctor that said my larynx was starting to heal itself.
0: So you went almost 20 years without being able to do anything but gurgle.
1: Yes. It was a miracle! I started being able to whisper, and by 2007 I could talk normally.
5: And now she won't
7: shut up!
1: Oh, you!
0: Fanny's return to singing is not a sure thing, but she's taking it one day at a time.
1: I still have bad days, and I have to be careful, but my voice is really very strong.
5: I'll say it is! She's gonna blow people away!
0: So are you nervous about this tour?
1: A little, but there's little Fanny Carmichael's all over the world who need to know that their dreams can come true if you work hard and believe in yourself.
0: Fanny Carmichael's new CD Kiss My Fanny is due out in August and her tour A Whole Lot of Fanny will begin in Albany, New York in September. That's all for this second part of our special 300th episode spectacular. We hope you've enjoyed the last seven years of Consider Our Knowledge. If you want more from the best-looking news team in public radio, visit considerourknowledge.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us for our Consider the Vote 2020 coverage on Twitter at Know. If you want to subscribe to the podcast, you can do it at Stitcher or on Apple Podcasts. The COK team includes Emily Claussen, Natalie Thorpe, Marianne Wetzel, Jeremiah Knight, Hobart Willis, and Spencer Cannon. Our intern is Ryan Shattuck. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Connor Bentley. So, <laughs> you can give you can give like four accents in one role. That's that's the genius well, of your hey, performance. You
2: know, yeah, fuck you, Streep. I don't
0: <laughs> see you do that. Yeah, she just sticks to one in one performance. Yeah. Like, oh, anybody
2: could do one accent. Oscar,
0: please. Anybody like, hey, can ready.
1: do one accent consistently. <laughs>